Hello, everyone. I'm Christina Roberts Enneking, and I am here to welcome you to the Real Eyes Realize podcast. This is a platform where we feature everyday people making ripple effects, actualizing love in their families, communities, and the world at large. Real Eyes Realize is a show where life and service dance together. For all of our podcast listeners, we invite you to sit back or take us with you on your walk or drive or however you enjoy your podcast. But listen deeply. We are here with our guests, here to listen to the sparks that have inspired action and heart-centered service and highlight ways in which we can also be motivated and inspired to create the positive ripple effects in our world. We're prepared to get real as well, authentic, courageous, and vulnerable through truth-telling and in that relating with one another to the things that matter most. So thank you for being here and enjoy this special treat, our next episode, just for you. Well, at this time, what I would like to do is to introduce our lovely, lovely guest here today, Miss Anne Heffron. And so Anne has taught writing for most of her adult life. And she has been eating ice cream for even longer. She's currently writer in residence, excuse me, writer in residence and farmer in training at the Spirit Hill Farm in Sebastopol and holds online classes for adopted people with Pam Cordano. As a writing coach, she teaches both groups of people and individuals how to express their most authentic selves on paper. And she has a dog that she got not long ago and is deeply wildly in love. Mm -hmm. And I am so grateful, Anne, for you to be here with us today. I have known you for multiple years, probably almost even a decade now. I've known you as a writing coach, as a friend, as a beautiful spirit in this world. And so thank you for being with us here today. Thank you. Yes. So as I like to start on our podcast, the beginning question is just tell us about your journey. How is it that you came into this world and what have been sparks for you, meaningful moments as you are showing up as who you are today? Can you give us a little overview? Yeah. um, When I teach um, writing, I have people write their life story in five minutes with their opposite hand, because I find it really interesting when you think about your life, what things you pull out and, and I have people write with their opposite hand to take away complicated language because it can be really overwhelming to tell your life story. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was thinking about this podcast, I was thinking when, about what you do, what, what is important in my life for, for, this, for this day. Yeah. And I think that I, I recently read something where um, it was, I think it was Thomas Hubble. And he was saying that something about you, um, you embody a question in, in your life and then your life is the answer. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking another way of telling my life story to you is to tell you what my question is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my question is, how do you live wholeheartedly when trauma was normalized at birth? Mm. And so if I look at my life, my life seems to me now, it makes sense to me. It didn't make sense to me a lot at the time, but a lot of it was 
negotiating if I lost my mother at birth, negotiating a life where my brain essentially has an alarm going off all the time mm-hmm. um, because that's was triggered at birth. And I thought I didn't know any different. So I thought that's everybody had that, but it's super distracting mm-hmm. um, and um, um, unnerving. And so knowing your own question is um, really uh, grounding. And so now I feel like if I, if my life is the answer, then I'm on a quest. And so I, then I want to find out how do I live, you know, wholeheartedly while there's shark music going on in the background (laughs) in my head. And, you know, you were part of the answer, right? Going to yoga class. Mm. And then I meet someone like you and then then these sort of bright lights happen. And so then the wholehearted part starts coming in and then I get to focus more on the wholehearted part instead of the trauma part, which is super exciting. That's amazing. First of all, I love, you always have a perspective that is, I think, so wise. And just to flip the question, like flip the answer to the question is, I just feel so powerful when you think about empowerment, right? When I know that this is a big part of your work is empowerment and authenticity. Um, So when you really think about what you bring to the table for your writing clients, how do you create an environment where it feels safe for them to maybe go into some of the trauma in a way of curiosity, like you're talking about, or that quest? That's such a great question. And and I feel like part of it is, Um, is my brain open and loving so that can I mirror back? So if people, if I talk to them, is my, you know, we, we exist. It's not, we aren't separate. You know, you and I exist in the space between us. It's, it's a, we, and there's this relational space. And so if you're with people that doubt you or don't fully see you or or are absorbed by their own problems. So they don't even have space for you. It's you may try to wiggle your way in, but in your gut, your gut feels sick. And then something feels wrong. And that may be normal for you. That may be your kind of the fishbowl that you live in, like people that don't understand you. So as a writing teacher and as a human, Mm. I try to clear my brain I mean, I am definitely a work in progress, so it's, 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 it's a moment-by-moment moment thing, but I try to have it be like this whiteboard that I can wipe clean so that I can receive you and not put my ideas of who you should be. And I, I, having taught writing at, at the college level for a long time and other places, in some ways being a teacher of writing is a terrible thing because you're told to look for good and bad. And you're told there's this spectrum of A to F. Mm. And I think that's, I think, I think it's horrible, Mm. especially with writing because who actually, who who decided what a writing is. And I'm pretty Mm. sure it was a white guy somewhere. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that leaves out a lot of people. And I understand that grades can be a motivator, Mm -hmm. um, 
but they can also be a paralyzer. So I'm really interested in um, how do we have people understand that writing isn't all that different from speaking Mm. and that people aren't writers just the same way they aren't. Um, You know, I talk about poop a lot because I think writing and pooping are so similar. You know, you (laughs) have an experience or you eat something and it comes out the other end. And why is writing any different from that? And, and, you know, you don't think you're so special because you pooped, you know, and you don't show your teacher, most teachers, your poop and say, well, what grade does this get? But, But why is writing different? You know, and I think I feel like. I mean, can you imagine if the first day of sixth grade, everyone poops on their desk and the teacher walks around and grades the poop, you know, then people would be super anxious about their poop. Right. Like, and so why imagine if we wrote with the same freedom that we, that we pooped, you know, like, Oh, I wrote this and I'm going to flush it and I'm going to write something else. And Uh, our sense of self isn't defined by how quote unquote good our writing is. It's just a function of being alive. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, first of all, one, because everyone poops, you know, back to the book that we might read our children, you know, back in preschool. But it's also like poop is such a humorous topic. Everybody laughs when you hear that word. And so how is it that writing can also feel that liberating and that freeing? Celebrate. It's a celebration. Writing is a celebration of being alive. Mm -hmm. And it's it's saying this is what I saw. This is what I feel. And um then to take it into the place of judgment is um, it's like, it's like having a beautiful fluffy body and putting on a corset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel that great. No constraining. Wow. Constraining. And, but people may like it better because it's more controlled, mm-hmm. you know, they can see the outlines better, you know? Um, yeah. And a writing I think is safe writing often yeah. just like a corseted body is a safe, body. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, even though safety feels good, I don't think that we were actually born to be safe. Mm. Man. Oh man. I have so many questions for you. And so I'm just, uh, there's so many. And so I want to talk about the people that you, you help kind of take that corset off, you know, who, who do you work with as your clients and what is it that you're really looking to bring forward? But I also want to focus on you a little bit. Um, so Tell us a little bit more if you're comfortable, like where have you felt constrained in your life or even, you know, a little bit of that early trauma? Um, what was that like for you? And then what were the things that helped you to release some of that? So I, I have wanted to write a book for a very long time and I didn't know what, I just wanted to write a book. That was my dream. And I, majored in creative writing in, in college. And I dropped out of college four times. I, I kept not knowing why I was there. I was shy. I couldn't find my place. I had an eating disorder. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't find my groove. I, I didn't feel, I looked like I had everything and I couldn't, I just kept falling apart and I didn't know what the, no one knew what the problem was. Um, And then I went to graduate school and I majored in, well, not majored. I got a MFA in writing fiction and um, I learned to write for approval. You Mm -hmm. you know, like you bring your work in to workshop, it gets workshop by people. You hope everybody likes it. 
Um, so I got tighter and tighter. I went in wildly creative and then I got tighter and tighter and started moving periods around. And, mm-hmm. um, and um, I was married twice. I had a daughter that was having a daughter was amazing. That was a life stream and it still is. Um, she's my, she's just amazing. Um, you know, but there's that. And then there's, what do you do personally with your own life? And I, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't find my feel good place. Mm. And um, um, I was living in your house. I was renting a room from you. And um, so I, I was, I, I was starting to feel cornered because my, the tricks for doing well in life, like we're not working anymore. So mm, like doing yoga, even though it felt great, it didn't, it was, it was, it was almost like I had a series of drugs, right? Like Mm -hmm. yoga and it's healthy stuff. I'm not a drinker. I'm not, but you know, eating, eating like ice cream or carbs or something. And, um, and you know, there's good, there's healthy. I still love ice cream. Right. But there's like using ice cream as a a reward at the end of the day, because the day wasn't that great. Um, which is different from having ice cream after a great day because it's part of the great day, but yeah, it's almost um, like escaping or numbing. We all have different. Yeah. Yeah. So there's just like the numbing, like the dating, like hoping someday to get married again, like all that stuff wasn't, there was an emptiness that Mm. I was afraid I think was just emptiness. Like there was nothing to do. There was nothing I could do with being wrong or empty. Like that Mm. was, I was just trying to cope with feeling that I wasn't good or right. And then I was walking up um, the the street to your house and I was looking at Facebook and this woman, you know, Facebook knows everything that you're doing. (laughs) And so I had been reading this memoir and this woman who led the, um, the, who wrote, who wrote the memoir, it popped up that she was doing a writing retreat and I didn't have any money, but I did have an emergency credit card <laughs> and my emergency credit card was the cost of her retreat. Oh, wow. and So I was thinking, you know, I don't know. I don't know. So I contacted them and she called back immediately. She's a really good marketer. Yeah. And um, I said, you know, like I don't have any money, but I could use my emergency money and I, I, I want to write a book, but no one's been able to help me. I can't figure it out. She said, I can do it. I can't do it. So I used my emergency credit card and my backup emergency credit card for, (laughs) for the flight. So I had no money, no money. And then someone contacted me from Santa Cruz and he said, do you need a ride to the airport? Cause he was also going and I said, yes. And so, um, I, I rolled my suitcase down in Los Gatos. It's it's early, early morning. It's dark out. My suitcase is making all this noise. And, he said, I'll meet you in front of the post office. And so I'm waiting in front of the post office and a limousine pulls up. Oh, great. So what I didn't know was that he was a super, super successful executive. And this is how he gets to the airport. Right. <laughs> so I'm going with like no money in a limo to a writing retreat. And I love I, it. we go to, um, we go to Montana and, um, um, I I'm, I'm there and I, and nice people and it's a cool setting and everything. And, um, this woman, this woman walks in late. She looks, she looks kind of uncertain. And I said, Hey, and, 
And, and um, we talked a little bit and she said, uh, um, my name is Kitty Stockett. And, and I said, oh, are you a writer? She said, I wrote a, a book called The Help. And like, it didn't process, like it didn't hit me. And then I turned away and I was like, holy, holy crap. Wait, The Help? Like, is that the book that my daughter loves so much? The book that sells millions and millions of copies? So I turned around and I'm like, wait a minute, The Help? <laughs> like the, the help? Yeah, she said, yeah. And then I realized, oh, okay. She, she's, she's the real deal. And what is she doing here? And it, and it turned out she was kind of tricked. Like the, the person had told her she would have space to write. The person had, and then later the person, I, I have bad feelings about the person clearly because <laughs> the person, whatever, I won't go into that. But um, the miracle the person did not help me write my book. She, um, but the miracle that had happened was that we had to, we had to write and I was irritated. I was irritated. I'd spent all my money. I was ir- sure. So I decided to do something sort of middle fingerish, and And I did my writing on flashcards and I told a story about what it was like to um, wake up, um, to be born as a baby and to have your mother disappear. Mm. And um uh, and I read it out loud and I thought it was kind of silly mm-hmm. because I was told that it didn't matter, you know, that mm-hmm. I was adopted and it didn't matter that I was born and that my mother disappeared because I got another mother. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this story that I had never let myself even think about. Mm-hmm. So actually the woman did get me to write my story, but um, in a very funny way, I guess. And so we had to read and share. So that's why I did this sort of flashcard, like, oh, I'll show you, I'll read the stupid story. (laughs) And so it's my turn and I'm reading my story and I look up and and people are crying. Wow. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. That's how I feel deep, deep inside. But I didn't know I didn't know I had buried this and Kitty Kitty came up to me and she said, you know, if you want a place to write for a week or two, you could have my New York apartment. And I said, that's so awesome. I used every penny to get here, you know? And and so I I went back home and then I was in your house and um, it occurred to me, I'm going to die and I'm going to be the person that Kitty Stockett offered you a place Mm -hmm to write. And you said no, because of money. And so um, I applied for this um, writing residency at Martha's Vineyard and I got it. And that also cost a little bit of money. And I kept going back and forth, like, what do I do? What do I do? So I just applied for a bunch of credit. Yeah. And, um, and I put all my stuff in storage and I told myself, okay, I'm, I'm going to do that. I don't know what's on the other. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to survive. Mm. But if I don't write this book, I'm going to die. Mm. And so I have four weeks. I have two weeks in New York and then I have two weeks in Martha's Vineyard. I'm going to see what happens. And then I don't know what I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to throw myself over this cliff. And so I went to Kitty's house and it was, it wasn't a normal apartment. It was like a palace. So I was living in a palace and it was, (laughs) amazing. And then I went to Martha's Vineyard, which is a very special place for me. Mm. And then um, while I was in Martha's Vineyard, I realized I couldn't do it. Like mm. the time that I spent at Kitty's house, I, I wasn't right. I still couldn't write. I still was just as stuck as I'd ever been. Interesting. 
Do you yeah. think it re-brought up trauma just going through that again? I think I didn't know how to write. I didn't know how to write. My mm-hmm. teachers often said I stayed on the surface, but I didn't know what that meant. And mm-hmm. the reason I didn't know what it meant was because I lived on the surface. Yeah. But I didn't know that because that was my life. I didn't know that I needed to, to look at the things that were hurting me. Mm-hmm. I thought like, go yeah. run away, run away, run away. Exactly. Um, kind of face the demons kind of a deal. Yeah. yeah. When you're tired and scared, facing the demons does not seem like a good idea. Yeah. That's, that's, that equals death. Yeah. It doesn't seem like. Um, and so I, I texted my friend, I was um, walking to a coffee shop in the morning and it was snowing and I stood in the middle of the road and I, and I basically put up a white flag and I said, I can't do it. I said, I, I don't, I don't know what my story is. I don't think anyone would care. And then I wrote, and I'm afraid that if I keep writing, I'm going to have to say I have value and I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. And I don't know where that came from at the time that hadn't been something. And so normally I would have erased that because yeah. I let someone see into myself Yeah. and he wrote back and he said, that's your voice. Oh. And as soon as he said that, everything shifted because I realized that I had been writing from my head Mm. and what I had said to him was the channel in front of my spine, like that silver river of truth. Mm. But I had learned to hide that place. I had learned that that was the place that other people didn't understand. That was the weak place. That was the place. No one knew what to do with, you know, even Mm -hmm. if I went to therapist and I accessed that place, Mm -hmm. they would say the wrong, they would not, I would yeah. not feel supported. Like that's the place to fix. That's the, that's place, the place to yeah. fix, not the yeah. place to live from. Yeah. So as, as soon as he said that, and then Kitty called me or wrote to me and said, do you want more time? So I ended up having a total of three months. Wow. So I stayed in New York for two more months after that. Incredible. And amazing things happened. You know, like I went and got a pair. Of, I didn't have any clothes. Yes. And so I was buying clothes on credit at Nordstrom Rack and I would buy a pair of jeans and I would look in the pocket and there's $80 in the pocket. Like, <laughs> like wow. the world loves people who are pursuing their dreams. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, really amazing things happen. Like I never thought I would find my birth father. There was no reason I would be able to find him. And then I, I found him the day I left Gosh. New York and, and I got a picture of him the day I left New York and, and then um, I came home and I had to face, like I published the book and like I realized my dream. And then I struggled for five years mm. because I'd gone so deep in debt yeah. and I, no one had taught me how to then celebrate mm. the book that I wrote. So I was both proud of myself and ashamed because I, I had written from that very private place, yeah. but I hadn't developed a support system to, it's too, it's very, very lonely to, to try to like survive life mm. without people really understanding like, wow, I'm really in trouble. You know, I yeah. chase my dream. I'm exhausted. I'm too yeah. tired to actually like pull my pants up and go get a job because I keep falling apart. Like, how am I going to do this? And, you know, by great mercy, friends would show up and like, mm. you know, like, Mercy showed up and showed up and showed up. Um, and it wasn't until recently that I understood. It, and it was by w- watching um, Michael Jordan. 
and watching um, the documentary Last Dance. And I realized um, you just have to work hard (laughs) and not in a work hard, not because life wants you to work hard, work hard because you want something from life. And it's okay to want, it's okay. Michael Jordan just wanted to win. Yeah. And you could, you could judge that and say, well, that's not really good for humanity, but that's actually not true. Mm. You know, Michael Jordan inspired so many people. And so I think I was confused about where your dreams were supposed to come from and Mm. to live wholeheartedly didn't mean I was going to live like my parents or live like I could live wholeheartedly like myself, which not everybody agreed with was a great idea Yeah, because I live, I like, I live differently. I don't really want a house. I don't really, I like to, I like a gypsy life. And to some people that looks like a problem, Mm. but I think if I wholeheartedly say yes Mm. to myself and more than anything, I want to be a really, really good writer. Yeah. In order, to, and the reason is because it feels it's a way to connect with people. Yeah. Um. So, I feel I had felt some shame for how much debt I went into and how other people had to help support me mm. in chasing my book. But now I feel I have better regard for myself. Mm. And understanding that um, it is a we, life is a we. Yes. And, and part of life is receiving. Yes. And it can be, like, you could, I could put um, a limit on how much I am able or are supposed to receive when maybe that's a problem. Maybe that's another form of, we were talking about glass ceilings before mm-hmm. privately right? Like maybe that's another way we have glass ceilings in our life is like, how much am I willing to receive? Mm. And that, that it's not what life will allow us. It's what we will allow us. Mm-hmm. And, it, and for some reason it can be so painful to receive. It's almost like you're a hose and you have to stretch yourself to be bigger. Mm. So it's like in yoga, stretching your body. It's you're doing micro tears. Yeah. Right. And so it hurts. It's a good hurt. Yeah. It's also tiring. Yeah. And I think part of like learning to really, really receive is taking really good care of yourself mm-hmm. so that you can open enough. And I think receiving is really the same as giving. Mm. If you're, I mean, it's, it's circular. Yeah. Yeah. When you, talk about this, the notion of glass ceiling, because I know you work with clients too, that are, you know, quote unquote, like breaking the grass, glass ceiling. Um, Can you say more about like, can we be willing to actually maybe just not even, even have that vision of a glass ceiling? Like what would the world be like if we just took some of what we maybe have are even creating as our own limitations and just blew those away? Uh, do you have some thoughts around that and how it ties to empowerment? And like you said, living your wholehearted or authentic life. Yeah, I do. And I think it, I, I'm starting to suspect that it starts with the idea of what, if, of the stories that we tell ourselves about our lives. Mm. That as soon as we define ourselves through story, we are constructing generally um, walls and a ceiling. 
And so watching Michael Jordan mm-hmm. made me think that he, he is energy. Mm. And so he, he wasn't thinking in terms of like, where are the limits of my body? I don't think where are the limits of my body and what can my body do? He was thinking, how do I get the ball into the net? Mm-hmm. How do I, as a ball of energy? And then he was able to do things that other bodies couldn't even do. And so I think part of it is maybe taking away story mm. and taking away um, the constructs of narrative and mm-hmm. just thinking as an energy being, mm. what is it that I am devoted to in this life? And like, how can I, how can I do it? Not thinking in terms of story or what people have done. You know, it's like when Roger Bannister ran the four minute mile and then that year, a whole bunch of people ran the four minute mile because all of a sudden that ceiling wasn't there anymore because there wasn't the story of man man can't run a four minute mile. Yes. Yes. Excellent example. Do you find at all that writing your story in that beautiful palace apartment in New York was maybe part of what was needed? Like, do we have to write the story to be able to then blow up the constructs? What do you think based on your experience? Yeah, I feel like it's it's the both and, right? Mm-hmm. Like I am a story and I do have a story and my brain, if there are unresolved issues or things that confuse me, my brain is going to use glucose trying to figure that out. Like part mm-hmm. of my brain, even if I'm not aware of it, is going to be spinning things, trying to figure it out. Yeah. So I think it's really helpful to get out to get the story out in a way that has a container Mm. so then your brain can do other things so that Mm. I am a story because I'm a human being and I had a beginning and I'll have an end. Yeah. Uh, But at the same time, I am an energy body. I love that. So it's almost as if we're not hostage to our story or we're not just confined to that story, but there I love, it's almost like putting a puzzle together Sometimes there is value to putting the corner pieces in the ends and then you fill in the middle. And then what's great is that almost like a, um, you know, like the beautiful Buddhist tradition where they do these mandalas and then they blow the mandala away. That's part of what you want to do is distract. Yes, that, but, but if you don't know who you are, I, th- I feel like the first question is who am I? And then what can I do? Yes. Right. And so you have to, I mean, they have to create the mandala before they can blow it away. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. So I love that Michael Jordan was one of your inspirations. Um, And it sounds to me like he gave you in a certain sense, permission to basically just say, okay, like, what am I going for as an energy body? What's important to me? And how do I want to not even make a mark in this world. I don't think that that maybe was what you were thinking, but like, how do I move into that flow? So what would you say now, Anne, is your signature or your marker? What do you want to be doing with this energy you've now realized? Yeah, I want to be a stick of dynamite and I want to go into people's lives and blow them up. (laughs) (laughs) And how do you do that? How tell us more. Well, I mean, I'm doing it right now for myself and it's extraordinarily painful. And I may even start crying because it's so scary. Yeah. And what I've recently realized is if I have a dream, like um, the Harvard basketball coach, the women's Harvard basketball coach asked if I would help her write her book. And a lot of people have asked her to do this. And 
a lot of um, people who would seem much more um, fit for this job have wanted this job and I got it. And Mm. just recently I thought I can't do it. Mm. I can't, I don't even like, I don't care about basketball. I don't, I don't live near Harvard. I live in California. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't. I, and so then I started watching Michael Jordan and then I fell in love with basketball. And then I realized I can't write that book as the person I am. I have to become a new person. Mm. So I can choose to stay the same or I can become the person that can write that book. And um, (laughs) the hard part is that I have to change and change is so scary. And so, you know, um, so I'm going to move. I live in, I live in the most beautiful place and I have this dog that I love so much and I'm going to move to Boston and I'm going to give my dog to another family because my dog is not um, an apartment dog. My dog is an outdoor dog. Mm. And I I would rather stay, you know, I would rather be in this safe place, but my life's ambition is not to live in a beautiful place and be the owner of a dog. My Mm. life's ambition is to write a great book. Mm. So I feel like I have, there's a price to pay. And I feel like, you know, watching Michael Jordan at one point, he said, you know, being Michael Jordan, isn't that great. Mm. And, and I feel like that this is part of the offering, you know, am I, am I willing to be uncomfortable to do something that is a gift both to myself and, and hopefully to the larger world. Mm. And um, the discomfort can seem really um, not a good idea. Am I a bad person for giving away my dog? Am I stupid for giving away like this? I live in a remarkable place to go move to a city where it snows and it's cold. <laughs> and I know that I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'll be okay there. And I'm, uh-huh. I'm more sure that I'm okay here because I've been okay. But what I learned from moving to New York is the, the, the rewards of um, change and challenge are high and the price is also high. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I willingly embrace the change, um, then things will happen, but it doesn't, it doesn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. And so I have to pull on my brave pants and, and then work at reframing things, not say, you know what, look, yeah, I couldn't even keep a dog. Like this is yeah. I'm so unreliable. I have to reframe it to say, this is my vision, you know, yes. and, and my commitment to my dog, right. That my dog yeah. will have the best life possible. So um, mm-hmm. I will do that. First of all, I love the image of you pulling on your brave pants um, or brave, whatever, you know, like pants, skirt, whatever, like gypsy clothes, like you pull those babies on. And the other piece is that I'm just reflecting back on when you were in New York and you would go and buy a pair of pants at Nordstrom Rack and you'd find $80 in it. There's something about the grace and the magic of reward when you're doing what you are meant to do. There is. I mean, yesterday, 
<clears throat> we had a leak here and um, the leak guy came and he saw my dog and he fell in love with my mm. dog. And I hadn't like fully, like fully thought about that. I would probably have to give my dog away, but, but it was like, Oh my God, I think I found the person. Oh. And then it turned out he has a dog. He has three kids. His wife works at home. Like, you know, and I, and I, and I, you know, part of me, he's coming here tonight and part of me wants to write to him and say, "Eh, you know, like, don't, don't do it. But Mm. I'm a train that's trying to get on another track. Yes. So it's not going to be, it's not going to feel right or easy. So I have to keep my eye. I have to pay attention to the universe, right? Like, yeah, I believe that when you are doing what is quote unquote, right for your energy body, the universe does feed you yes. and it yes. may not always be what you want. Yeah. Right. But it's like, if it's in service to the larger mm-hmm. goal, then it, it, it behooves you to pay attention. Yes, absolutely. And what I learned in yoga, right. Is to soften. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just have to keep softening. Like this is my body wants to constrict. Sure. But that also, if you constrict, you also push out grace. Yes. Right? Because grace is a flow. Yes. And so goodness can hurt. Yeah. And I think part of this is also understanding like just because it hurts doesn't mean mm. it's not good. Part of what I hear too is part of being, you know, human is feeling the feelings and not pushing them away or judging, like you said, that they're good or bad, that they simply are. And so riding that wave. And I think that what I've been learning, at least, you know, certainly in this stage in life and and during COVID, you know, it has not been an easy time that if we can become more skilled sailors, (laughs) we can ride these waves a little bit more. And maybe, you know, the whole thought about a rising tide lifts all boats that you also get to be inspiration for others of living their dreams. And so I think there's a lot of people that do feel confined to living a life, whether or not it's what parents thought that was right or through the society or through the academic, you know, kind of rulemaking and people are feeling a little bit constrained and you get to show us that it's possible. It's possible. Well, you know, I met um, Frosty Hessen, who was um, the movie Chasing Mavericks was about um, yeah. his relationship with um, a, a younger surfer. And um, I asked him what the secret to life was. And he said, glide. And I didn't get it. And so I would watch the surfers in Santa Cruz and I would think glide, glide, glide. But I think what you just said about the skilled um, what, what sailor or skilled yeah, surfer skilled or sailors is yeah. that. If I don't, if I don't, if I am on the waves and if I don't judge a wave as good or bad, and if it, the, the, the wave is life and then I am feeling life, if I am gliding, then that is, that is power. Yeah. And as we know, as surfers, it's that power when you can harness it. That has the most joyful, most fun, you know what I mean? When you hit that wave just right, it's like you're propelled to move forward. And then you get to go do your fun, you know, hang 10 or walk to the front, walk to the back, whatever it is. I've seen some surfers recently even bring their dogs and their surfboards. And I'm like, how? And it's just, it's the skill and the joy, I think, of the sport. So. Yeah, I saw a surfer as a goat. A goat? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I love it to each his own, right? right. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I'd love to kind of like um, start to close out and I just, I could talk with you forever and ever and ever. And um, I'm curious about what it is. So you're going to be going to Boston. You're going to be working with this amazing woman and we're going to get to hear her story. Um, isn't she like one of the most winningest coaches yeah. and like hardly anybody even knows her name? Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm so excited. Ivy League coach. Um, and she has changed women's basketball and she's incredible. And, and she's been there for now for almost 40 years. And so there's also all the women that she's coached. So I get yeah. to be in, in contact with all these really powerful, dynamic women. And I, I want to write a book that lets people get coached by Kathy, you know, so that we can all have that experience. That's incredible. What is her full name? Kathy? Her name's Kathy Delaney Smith. And um, she was my high school gym teacher. Wow. Yeah. So I've known her for a very long time. Oh, I love Um, that she reached out to you. And of course you are the one that is meant to write this book with her. Thank you. Beautiful. So where else, I know that you've, you know, you're a writing coach too. In fact, I think your coaching sessions are called like write or die. Yes. I mean, based on your experience in life. Um, so can people find you? How can they find you? Or how can they even um, be inspired, whether or not it's by writing prompts? Mm. How do we find you, Anne, and, and support you as well? Thanks. I think the best way, um, if you're adopted, it's on Instagram, and underscore Heffron. But if you're not adopted, the, those things will, I think, just annoy you. There are a bunch <laughs> of things about being adopted. <laughs> Um, but my, um, my website is anheffron.com and I have a blog and I have information about, um, writing and the write or die classes. I love very much. I do them privately and they're 90 minutes and people can do them over the phone or zoom and it's a jump start. It's super fun. I love that. Yeah. So that's the stick of dynamite. You get yes, to do the stick of dynamite yeah. and get ready. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And we will certainly put all of the websites into the show notes and whatnot so people can find you. Um, and one of the things that we oftentimes do is we have like a, an online resource hub where we'll do a little worksheet that was something inspired by one of our guests. So if there's anything, maybe it's even the write your story with your left hand for five minutes. So if you have any prompts, I'm happy to put that together with you and we can put that out on our website. That sounds wonderful. Is that okay? Cool. Thank you. Love it. So I would love to kind of just close the loop with something that we do with our guests, which is asking just a series of collective questions. (laughs) These are things we ask each and every guest, and it's just more kind of meant to be lightning speed off the top of your off the top of your mind. And so is that something you're willing to do? Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. So first question, what are you currently reading or watching? Oh, I'm reading healed. Um, no cured. I'm reading cured. Who's that from? Do you know? Jeffrey Redigger. Jeffrey Redigger. What's in cured? What's it, the premise? He's a Harvard a doctor who's talking about spontaneous healings. I think it's a brilliant book. Oh, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So if you could eat dinner and engage in dialogue with anyone past or present, Mm -hmm. who would it be? Mm -hmm. My mom. Your mom. What do you think that dialogue would be around? Mm -hmm. I would tell her I love her. Mm -hmm. Gorgeous. Beautiful. When you think about facing challenge. And when you're looking at even this transition going forward with your move, um, what do you do or say to yourself to remind yourself how to show up? 
Hmm. I think about my daughter and I think about who do I want to be in her eyes and who would I want? I would, I want to operate with the same freedom that I want her to have. Mm, That's beautiful. My last question. What are you most grateful for today? Uh, You. (laughs) That was really off the hip. (laughs) Well, I am. You put so much, you put so much heart into what you do and you really bring, you bring 125% of yourself. And who even knew that was possible to everything. Like Mm. there's this, enthusiasm and this energy that's just like I don't know where you dig it out of the earth you have more than most people um and the care that you put into this podcast it's really something so thank you thank you and and I am so grateful so grateful to see you again to hear from you and to know what's ahead and at the same time just see where you are here and now so I love your little statue I'm seeing in the background. It looks like it's Vishnu kind of on the side. It's my lying like, down superhero. It's to remind down me to lie down. And I, that's what I think about when I think of you. And I mean, you have helped me in so many ways to, mm-hmm. to unleash what was inside. Cause I think I also kind of have lived a very controlled life. And so I'm going to be signing up for one of your ride or die mm-hmm. workshops. I need another stick of dynamite. So mm-hmm. um, thank you for being here today and for sharing so much of yourself. We Thank you, Christina. It. You bet. Take care. Okay, Bye. sounds good. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another impactful conversation here on Real Eyes, Real Lies podcast. We hope you take some time to let the wisdom of the stories that were shared here today sink in. And we welcome you to engage with us on our social channels at realize.love on Instagram, at realize.love on Facebook, and also our virtual voicemail on SpeakPipe. You can call us and let us know individuals you'd like to hear us interview or ideas for stories that you think would be impactful for others to hear. We also have links in the show notes and we invite you to go to our website, realeyes.love, where you will find an online resource hub. It is our gift to all of our listeners to provide you the resources and support in making your own ripple effects actualizing love in this world. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing all that you do. And remember, be true, be real, be you, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.